0: Hey guys, my name is James, we're going to get straight into it, um, who's brought their Bible with them tonight? No one? One person? Phone, phone Bible, awesome. Uh, so, I heard this analogy a long time ago, right? Like, not bringing a Bible to church is like going on a date and forgetting to take the girl, it kind of just doesn't make sense, and so I encourage you guys just to bring your Bibles every time, every Sunday, because uh, it's actually really, really helpful, yeah, but um, Let's get straight into it. Revelation 3, 7 to 13. We've got it on the, the big screen there, but uh, let me start reading it. Revelation 3, 7 to 13. It says, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he, shut, what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole earth, whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one can take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And i also write on them my, my new name. Whoever has ease, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, now does everyone have their phone on them? I'll just get Ellen to quickly... Flick that across for me. Does everyone have their phone with them? All right, everyone, grab your phone. You're going to need your phone. Got your phone? Take your phone out. Take your phone out. Take your phone out. We're going to run a quick live survey. So what you need to do, right? Unless you just want to flick across the next one for me. Cool. What you need to do? Okay, you need to message this. You need to message JamesJang117. All one word. JamesJang117. All one word. To that number there, 0427-541-357. So the number is 0427-541-357. And you need to text JamesJang 117 And you're going to get a message saying that you've joined the poll. Okay? If you don't do this, you're going to miss out on a lot of fun. Oh, it doesn't matter. Capital law, lowercase. And everyone should get a message back saying you've joined this poll. Yes? Mel, you're in? Awesome. No, not yet. (laughs) Okay, you guys can go. But, no, no, no. Can you just um, leave it, Ellen? (laughs) Okay, so, when you're in, you need to answer by sending a message to that same number, A, B, or C. Okay? A, B, or C. So, were you born in the 90s? Yes, for A, B for not, B for no, and C for I don't know. So, Sorry, you, you can vote as many times as you want. This is a live poll. This is a nice straightforward one. So, we were you born in the nineties? Has everyone got it? Is everyone like, yeah, 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 yeah? Sweet. Someone doesn't know. Awesome. Someone's confused. Okay, all right, let's move on. Next, next one, please. Name this device. A, B, C, D, or E? What is that? What is that? Are you sure? That's right, the original snake. A, B, C, Nokia 5610, Nokia 3310, iPhone 10, Max, Samsung Galaxy S7, or a wireless toaster? Go for it. Are you sure it's a Nokia? Nokia. (laughs) <laughs> okay, there's always one person that does the wireless toaster. It's actually it's actually the Nokia 3310. Did anyone own that phone? Yes. The, the guys that weren't born in the 90s. <laughs> okay, cool. Let's move on. Next question, please. How many copies of the Bible have been sold? 50 million, 500 million, 1 billion, 5 billion. Go. since the beginning of time interesting 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 no one thinks 50 million so so okay one person thanks (laughs) thanks to whoever did that so the answer is actually five billion copies which is pretty crazy Next question, please. All right. How many letters are written to the churches in Revelation? How many are listening to Steve's sermons? Yeah, you'll know this. Twelve. Seven. Okay, someone's changing their minds. (laughs) Three. How many letters are written to the churches? How many letters? How many letters? Alright, five, four, three, two, one, lock it in. The answer is actually seven. The majority of you guys are listening, which is really good. Next question, please. So what does Philadelphia mean? What do you guys think Philadelphia means? A, B, C, or D? Sorry, what? All of you, <laughs> what do you think it means? What do you think it means? Why is it a trick question? Is it? Are you sure? <laughs> so, so the answer is actually brotherly love. So in the Greek, um, it's actually named in honor of two kings who are like super loyal to each other. Okay, so it actually means brotherly love, Philadelphia. That's, that's why the church is called Philadelphia. Next question, please. Where is the church of Philadelphia located? Smyrna, Syria, Turkey, Australia. Go for it. Australia. Australia. Smyrna, Syria, Turkey, or Australia? Where do you guys think it was located? Australia, yes. There's always one person. Okay, Australia. Someone. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, we need to pray for this, guys. (laughs) Okay, so the answer is actually not Australia. It's actually Turkey. So, It's kind of a trick question, because it's located east of Smyrna, but within modern-day Turkey, okay? So it's actually, so the Church of Philadelphia was actually a gateway between, um, like, the east side and the west side, and it was actually the, the pathway through which, like, the Greek culture just spread and grew and went massive, okay? Next question. What natural disasters affected the city of Philadelphia? What do you guys think? Earthquakes, floods, heat waves? Um, yeah, they ran out of cheese. What do you guys think? Yes? What do you guys think? What do you guys think? Has anyone been to Turkey? You would kind of know if you have been before. Cool. All right. So the answer is actually um, the answer is actually earthquakes. The city was actually built on like fertile volcanic. Land is actually built on like uh, a fault line, right? Um, and the earthquakes got so bad that the government actually exempted people from paying taxes because they couldn't actually live within their homes because they would just live outside because of the aftershocks and all the and all the earthquakes. Um, and this this actually happened for generations and generations. Um, you know, the church is actually known for its faithfulness through persecution. Uh, one of the main things that we're going to talk about is. Uh, the idea of persecution—the idea that Christians were oppressed, um, and killed, and tortured for their faith—and this came from both outside, the Roman government, and also inside, Jews that would call themselves Christians. Okay. Um, so, so this is, this is the last question: If if Chastard was lying on fertile volcanic land, right? If it was—if this was located right on a fault line, and we got hit by earthquakes every week. And people inside the church, outside the church, started abusing us, persecuting us, torturing us, killing us. Would you move church? Next question, please. Would you move? Honestly. You can answer this honestly as you want. Would you move? Would you move church? 73% saying yes. Yes. 24, 21, say no. So, thanks, Ellen. We can turn that off now. Uh, so, so the sad reality is that uh, most of us would actually leave church, and it, and it's because it makes total sense in our minds, right? It makes total sense in our minds. And this is what we see in Revelation three. Jesus talking to the church of Philadelphia, pleading with them to to hold fast, pleading with them to to, to stay the course. You know, and, we, and as we've seen throughout each of the series of letters, we've got the four structures. Yeah. Jesus' description of himself, commendation, condemnation, and a promise. The, the Church of Philadelphia and the Church of Smyrna are the only two churches that don't have a condemnation. Uh, and it's not because they were perfect, but because they, they, they held fast. They didn't deny Jesus in the midst of everything that was going on. So firstly, like we see in verse 7, right, Jesus' description of himself. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. These are the words of him who is holy and true. You know, holy is a description of God, and it's it's one of his attributes, one of his characteristics. It actually means just set apart, separated from evil. If you've ever done um, a course in, in a Bible college, you'll know this guy, Wayne Grudem, and he actually says, God's holiness means that he is separated from sin and devoted to seeking his own honor. You know, the church was always intended to, to grow in holiness, purified from sin and devoted to God. You know, another, another characteristic of Jesus is that he is true. You know, John 8 46 says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You know, Jesus says, Jesus is all he says is, or he's a complete liar. There's no in the middle, there's no middle ground for this. He's all that he says, he always, always fooled us all. Yeah, He reminds the church that he is true. In the midst of all the persecution that was going on, Jesus says, I am the true light. I am the truth. You know, Jesus is saying, hold fast, don't move, trust me. I am holy and true. I hold the keys to every door. You know, and the image and the idea of a key and a door, right, is that if you're the owner of a house or a home, you have the authority to open or close the door as you like. Similarly, Jesus holds in his possession the keys to death and Hades, and the keys to the house of David. So it was prophesied again and again throughout the Old Testament that the saving Messiah would come through the line of David, through the house of David. And we actually see that prophecy fulfilled in the New Testament. We see that the house of David is a sign, a symbol of salvation. Isaiah 22:22 says, I'll place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. You know, Jesus reminds the church of Philadelphia that salvation, eternal life is found in no one else but Jesus. It's not found in cars, homes, fame, money. You know, I love what uh, John Piper says about seeing the greatness of God. He says, if you don't see the greatness of God, then all the things that money can buy become very exciting. If you can't see the sun, you'll be impressed with the streetlight. If you've never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. And if you turn your back on the greatness and majesty of God, you'll fall in love with a world of shadows and short-lived pleasures. You know, secondly, verse 8 shows Jesus' commendation to the, for the church of Philadelphia. I know your deeds, so I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Is Jesus talking about physical strength here? Is he talking about spiritual strength? Does he mean that, he, does that, mean, does he mean that they have little spiritual power or that they are weak in possessions, size or influence? You know, Jesus actually commends this church for their faithfulness because of the persecution they were facing. You know, the kingdom of God is not about brute strength. It's about staying faithful day in and day out. You know, we see that the Philadelphia church kept God's name. They didn't deny him. They didn't bow their knee to anyone else but the one true holy God. They faithfully preached the gospel despite the fierce opposition. And Jesus says in verse 9, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall, at, fall down at your feet and, and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. See, what we see here, Jews who claim to be followers of Christ, same thing as some people here, if, if they say they're a Christian, but they're not really a Christian, Right? Today you are either for righteousness or against it. Same as Jesus. He is all he says he is or he's not who he says he is. So we are either for Jesus or we're not. You know, the Pharisees were religious leaders within the church. They knew their Bible inside and out. They were leaders who were held in high esteem, but they missed Jesus. They missed Jesus by 18 inches. What I mean by that is the distance the distance between your head and your heart. They missed Jesus by 18 inches. They were right in front of him, but they completely missed him. You know, everyone goes on this 18-inch journey from knowing about Jesus to knowing Jesus. You know, the greatest tragedy is that people miss out on heaven by 18 inches. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if that doesn't translate into your heart, you'll never truly taste and see the goodness of God. Jesus reminds the Philadelphia church in the midst of everything that's going on that he loves them, that he's for them. And then finally we see the promise that Jesus made to the church in verses 11 and 13. He encourages them to hold on to what they have so that no one will take their crown, which is the gospel that they have heard and received. Jesus promises him whoever comes I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. You know, the promise is this those who continue in the faith, those who trust him and hold fast to him, those who persevere will be made like a pillar in the house of God. Although they are weak, they'll be reminders to everyone in heaven of the faithfulness of God. You know, in the midst of continual earthquakes and aftershocks, Jesus' Jesus's promise speaks of stability, peace, and security. You know, instead of living in fear of the earthquakes, God God's people are promised a permanent residence in the stronghold of God's building, which is Christ. Yeah. Unlike earthly structures which can be destroyed, this building cannot be shaken. There is no need to sleep outside because there is perfect peace. Yeah, just this week, Instagram taking off the ability to see likes. How many people were really angry with that? No one? Okay, awesome. (laughs) So, you know the idea of decreasing the pressure of what people feel in history, yeah. In history we've never seen or had to deal with something like this. Because there's never been a time like this where everything is about us. Everything is about us. There's pressure to be perfect. So how do we maintain how do we have peace in our hearts when when all we're doing is looking at ourselves? Christ is our building. He is our stronghold. And he cannot be shaken. He's our perfect peace and safety. And so the question that, that we need to ask and the lessons that we need to learn from, these, uh, from this letter to the Philly church is, will you persevere? Even if it costs you your job, even if it costs you your reputation, will you obey God and live his commands? Even if you lose your life, Because the reality is the Christian life isn't easy. It's not meant to be. Jesus said, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. Our lives should look different to the world. The way we spend our money, our time, our words, it should be different. You know, we're not called to live a perfect life, but we're called to persevere and hold fast to God. You know, one of the most sobering things that I heard growing up in the church was, from a pastor friend. This was like about 10 years ago, and he said to a group of about 30 of us, If in 10 years' time all of you are still walking with the Lord, I would be very surprised. You know, and, and it wasn't to cut us down or to um, crush our spirits. It was actually just, it was just like reminding us that the Christian life is not easy. You know, that life with Jesus requires patience and perseverance. And too many people give up way too easily. You know, and he was right, like many, many of the group of the 30, they've fallen away, captured by everything that the world can offer. You know, but what we see in this passage today is Jesus pleading with the church to hold fast, to continue the path, to obey God, and live his commands even in the midst of persecution. So that my question to you is, are you staying the course? Are you persevering with your walk with God? You know, there are two things that we can actually take away from this. Two things about staying the course and holding fast. One is remembering that life is but a breath. And two is remembering the joy of your salvation, remembering why we're doing what we do. Yeah. You know, whether you're a Christian here or not, life is short. Jesus promises the Philly church that He'll keep them and protect them, even in the midst of trial. In Ecclesiastes one says, "Everything is meaningless." You know, the writer's not saying that life is not worth living. That's not the point. But he's saying that life is like a vapor, a mist. It's temporary. If you try and grab it, it's meaningless. You know, there's this great analogy um, about the comparison of of life on earth and eternity. Now imagine if I had a, had a rope, right, and it just went on forever and ever and ever and ever, right? Now imagine if that rope is a timeline, timeline of your existence. It represents the time you're born to your existence forever. You know, and the little end section, little, about two centimeters at the end, that's your time on earth. That represents your time on earth. You've got a few short years before, you've got all eternity somewhere else. You know, but what we see is people invest and invest and invest into this tiny section at the end. When in reality, we've got all this rope. You know, what's crazy to to see that uh, some of us, all we think about is this section, this small section of the rope. Forgetting that we've actually got all this other section of the rope. You know, because the Bible teaches us that what I do in this little section determines how I'm going to exist for millions and millions and millions of years, right? And a frightening thought is people who call themselves Christians would invest into this little part, trying to make themselves as comfortable as possible, enjoying themselves as much as possible on this earth. You know, we get one chance at this life on earth. And for any of us, it can end at any moment, any moment. And then we've got all eternity, eternity. But please hear me when I say this. I'm not saying that we can't enjoy nice things. I'm not saying we can't enjoy great food and and great company. What I'm trying to say is if that's what we're living for, then it's never going to be enough. There's got to be something else. There's got to be more. See, the crazy thing is people invest everything that they have into this life just to enjoy a moment, not knowing if they have tomorrow. You know, this life is just a dot in eternity. That's it. You know, we persevere because we know that this life is just a breath. You know, one of the greatest examples that I've seen in my life uh, is is Steve and Mel. Um, You know, now, hi, Steve, on the podcast. Um, Steve's actually pretty smart you know he's actually yeah he's actually pretty smart he's he's both book smart and um, street smart which is really rare these days Um, you know both Steve and Mel they've had opportunities to quit ministry and leave church and make a ton of money but they chose to follow God you know they chose to invest into eternity they chose to say all these they chose to say to all these nice things, no, I'm going to choose eternity. And you know, it's not easy to give up a life of comfort, a stable career, multiple bonuses. It's not easy to give up that for a life in ministry where possibly be living paycheck to paycheck. You know, but both Steve and Mel, they've shown us over the seasons and over the years, there is more to life than living for comfort, you know. And if Stephen Mel persevere till the end, you know they're going to stand before God. And they'll hear the sweet words, "Well done, good and faithful servant." So Stephen Mel, on behalf of our church, we, we just we just encourage you guys to continue the path, to hold fast to what you have, and continue to show us that uh, Jesus is sweeter. You know, the second thing that we can learn, the second thing from the Philly Church about persevering is to remember the joy of your salvation. He says, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Remember why you're doing what you're doing. You know, we persevere through persecution and injustice because we've tasted and seen the goodness of God. You know, if you're here and you call yourself a Christian, but you're just going through the motions. Everything has become a bit too familiar. You know what to say on Sunday. You know when to lift your hands. And you're just bored of the Christian life. Then come back to the joy of your salvation. Fix your eyes on Christ. Remember what he's done for you. You know, I love these lyrics. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Remember the joy of your salvation. Yeah, It's just fixing our eyes on Christ. The Apostle Paul actually says in, in Hebrews, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Charles Spurgeon says, it is not thy hold on Christ that saves thee. It is Christ. The only reason why the Philly Church could go on was because their eyes are fixed on Jesus and Christ. They were actually walking in time with with God with God's heartbeat. I just want to invite the team back up and um, I just want to quickly show you an analogy. So I don't know if you guys have realized, but um each single one of us, we we actually play with with um headphones, right? With headphones. Um it actually allows us to hear what we play. So, what we hear in our ears is actually different to what you guys are hearing. Um, and I'll get Anzi to fire off that for a bit, and I'll get Ellen to pop the click back. Cool. So, that's what, that's actually what we hear in our ears when we play. Yeah. You can turn that off now, Anzi. Thanks, bro. Um, now, depending on the song, we'll change the speed. Depending on you know how fast how slow, um, but you know we have moments where we'll play out of time um, and it'll be slightly different. but that click is our anchor it's our home point it's where we base the speed from the music it's our access back to where we need to be. you know imagine if um, we all started to play different tempos it'd be It'd be a mess it'd be uh, not really nice. so I'm just going to get the guys just to demonstrate. what it it sounds like when we play out of time, completely out of time. So, um, yeah, let's go for it. Play play something for us. Pretty good, right? (laughs) Thanks, guys. Yeah, that sounds really, really great. Now, play something that's in time for us. There. That's perfect that time. Sweet. Thanks guys. So that, that's what it that's what it should sound like, right? That's what Yeah, we got there in the end. That's what it should sound like when when we play in time. Okay. Um Thanks guys. Um you know when we when we walk right with God, that's what it should sound like. It should sound like that, not like the first example. Okay? When we when we're out of sync with God it actually makes us feel really uneasy. Yeah. And walking in time with God, walking with God, it's it's not this magical pill. It's actually it's actually a choice we make every day. You know, it's the idea of fixing our eyes on on Christ and letting Christ be the center of our lives. You know, and I just want to finish with this. Persevering through trials, persecutions, and even seasons of apathy, it all starts with remembering the joy of our salvation. Remembering why Jesus died for us. You know, the Bible actually says that Jesus went to the cross for you and me. You know, the cross is a symbol of suffering and shame. You know, crucifixion was one of the most barbaric, shameful ways to die. You know, when someone is crucified, their body is slouching on that cross. So much so that when they um, exhale their lungs, they struggle to breathe. And the result is they would have to push themselves up from their nailed feet to inhale, extending their life. You know, they would pass in and out of consciousness. And this could go on for hours or even days. But the whole point was to make someone suffer as long as humanly possible. You know, the Bible says before Jesus was crucified, he was scourged. Scourging was was painful. That Many people just died from the scourging without even getting to that point of crucifixion. I just want to read this little bit out for you. Scourging often occurred when a man would be stripped and oftentimes naked, his hands shackled above his head, usually around a pole. He was then laid out so that his bare, so his back and shoulders and his legs were exposed. An executioner would often take what is called a cat of nine tails. It was a handle that had straps of leather. At the end of the straps of leather would, be, would either be a metal ball or a hook made out of bone or metal. The executioner would whip the prisoner across the back. The metal balls would serve to tenderize the flesh. The hooks would then sink into the man's body. The executioner would give a tug and literally rip the flesh off the body. And we can see throughout history that um, that there have been occasions where people would, um, the hook would go so deep that it would just rip out the rib of the person. You know, Jesus was repeatedly flogged. The bones shook, the muscle was torn, and the flesh moved. And he went into shock, and his, and his body was covered in blood. He was in excruciating pain. Isaiah 52.14 says that Jesus, Jesus' appearance would be marred beyond human likeness. If you had known Jesus and followed him throughout his scourging, you just wouldn't recognize him at all. You know, Jesus was then forced to carry his own cross to the place of execution. The crossbar would would weigh up to 45 kilograms, and and it's a rough timber. And it was laid across the open, barren, bleeding, exposed shoulders and back of Jesus. And upon arriving at his place of crucifixion, Jesus was laid down upon that cross and had nails driven through the most excruciating nerve centers of his body through his hands and feet. The cross is then raised and violently dropped into its hole. So his entire body shook upon the nails. At this point, he's bleeding. He's sweating. He's suffering. But why did he have to go through all this? Why? Jesus died and suffered for our sins. He took our punishment. He took our place so that we can walk right with God. You know, the cross was never meant for Jesus. It was meant for us. But God, in his loving kindness and mercy, he takes our place and suffers this violent death because he loves you because you are worth the price. You know, your life was bought with a price. You can't tell me that your life is worth nothing. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, the darkness thought that it had won. They thought that the light of the world had died. But how many know that our God cannot be defeated? Three days later, he rose in victory. We serve a victorious God. We serve a God who is the beginning, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. We serve a God who is all-powerful, all-glorious, who cannot be stopped by death. The Bible says, death where is your sting. Death has been defeated. And this light, this Jesus, is available to us today. And it means we don't have to be afraid of death. And what happens after this life? You know, we don't need to sacrifice anything to get to God. Because Jesus was that perfect sacrifice for us. It's simple, the choice is yours tonight. You know, the Bible shows us from the very beginning that We have two choices. We can live for ourselves or we can live and surrender our hearts to God. You know, we've been created for communion with God. Nothing will satisfy money, relationships, materials, power, fame. The choice is yours. Jesus died on that cross to make the light available to us so that we don't have to walk in darkness